Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That was Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. In times that we're living in right now with all the craziness in the world, an emphasis on the crazy, we should know how to praise Him. We should continually praise Him. No matter what is going on, we should magnify the Lord and exalt His name. So let's do that together. I praise the Lord for my home, the blessing of it and allowing me to do this for my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, grandson, furry kids. Everything that I have comes from him. I praise him for his provision and protection over all of us. No matter how bad it gets, he will protect us. Praise him for the dreams and the visions, living out Joel 2.28, for his healing virtues, for his favor and revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I praise him for America. Oh, yes, I do. Even with all the things going on right now, I see his hand upon it. I praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to return. And I believe that's got to be soon because I believe the Antichrist is waiting in the wings. So let's get ready. Let's pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Psalm 122, verse 6. Jerusalem is about to go through their own turmoil. Wish I could talk about it, but I can't on this particular session of the porch. I pray for America, for its leaders, for its citizens. I am praying for justice, God's justice and righteousness to prevail and for all evil to be exposed and dealt with. And I'm praying that over every nation who claims to know the Lord. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice, those that are poor in spirit, those that have been oppressed. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, the missing and exploited children, the victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking, the satanic enterprise. We must pray. We must stand against the darkness. Praying for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Praying against the religious persecution, the anti-Semitism, the false religions, everything that are rising up that I believe will usher in the way of the Antichrist, whose spirit becomes bolder and bolder, and that serve him become bolder and bolder, preparing for his personal unveiling. But I've got a surprise. I think the Lord's going to delay that. I'm praying for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing. As we get back to our divine design, we can't do what we're called to do if we're sick. It's a distraction from the enemy, and I don't care if you did it to yourself, if your parents did it to you, or society did it, whatever it is, start praying against it. Speak to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with his word. Let's get back to our divine design. 
If, you, if you're struggling right now, heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, just come into agreement as I speak these things. Say, yes, I agree. That's for me. I'm whole. I'm healed. I am not living the, the, the broken, short-changed life that I've been living. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am the lender and not the borrower. We're going to live in accordance with his word. We're going to do what he's called us to do. We're praying that the open conduits of his blessings to fund the dreams, the visions, the missions, everything that we've been called to do for the kingdom would be provided for. I'm praying that the doors would open and those that have been called to do what they've been called to do in that arena, that the blessings would flow forth so that we can do this, we can serve the kingdom, and we can preach, teach, and get people saved, healed, and delivered. And I pray for our lost family members. We need them. Uh, Kim in Fort Mitchell, the only request I have, she asks us to keep her family in our prayers. So, Father, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. You are the great I am. You are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. There is none like you. You are the God above all gods. Most of all, you're our Abba Father, our Papa, our Daddy. So we, we run to you right now. It's like children scurrying to, to see who can get into Father's lap first. Because we just want to be close to you. We want to feel your presence. We want to, to, to see you. And we know the day will come when we can see you face to face. But now through the Spirit, we want to see you. We want to hear your voice. We even want to smell the incense of the throne room. So, Father, please, please look down upon your children and hear our voice, hear our prayers, hear our petitions. But we say thank you. We thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable. We thank you for even considering us and sending Yeshua, your son, to die for us. You paid our debt for us. We built up a huge debt, and you paid it. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for enduring the cross, enduring the pain, the shame, and everything that was done to you that day. But we're thankful that you're not dead. You are alive. You rose on the third day, and now you sit at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power, far above all principalities and power, and we get to sit with you in the heavenly places. How cool is that? And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Let us see, hear, and feel what we're supposed to. Let us learn. Magnify this word. Edify us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just need you. We need you. We need you to to speak to us tonight. Bless this time. Bless the technology. Have your way with us. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. The Lord said in this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, everything happening right now, it seems out of control, but he's in control. So we really want his kingdom to come and rule on earth as it does in heaven. We need him to lead us away from the snares and the temptations and the lies of the evil one and his kingdom. For his, our father's kingdom is the one we seek. And it's his power and his glory forever and ever. Amen.
I'm still talking about entering the promised land. Entered a new year, and many feel that we're entering into a promised land of blessings. But to do that, we need to understand the promise of a homeland made to Abraham that unfolded through Moses and Joshua. Moses taught that the land was held in trust by God for his people, and that obedience to his ways would bring blessing in the land, and disobedience would bring judgment. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you follow me on Facebook, I posted something this morning in the beginning of post where I would begin to speak as the Lord tells me to speak, and I'm telling you, judgment's coming. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord, but judgment is coming upon the evil. Judgment is coming upon the lying and the depraved and the corrupt. He's had enough. We were supposed to be the ones stopping it. We were supposed to be the ones standing against it. He's waited, and he'll wait no more. But before the promise can happen, a relationship must be forged with the Lord. Go with me to Genesis 12, starting with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go into the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were there in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. When the Lord tells you to move, you better move. And now remember, this is not Abraham's God. This is a new relationship, and he does what he's told. So the first thing I got is we all want the promised land, but we want it without the effort and relationship needed to obtain it. Abram had to leave the place of comfort and control into a place of the unknown. um, J.G. Murphy, from his commentary Notes on the Old Testament Genesis, said 422 years on the lowest calculation after the last three... Recorded communication with Noah, the Lord again opens his mouth to Abram. It's been 422 years, in the least, since God has spoken to man. And he picks Abram to do that. Abram was brought into a a place of total dependency on the Lord. Now, if you don't understand, Abram was living with his father, Uh, on the property that they owned, and they were rich, they were very wealthy, and he was told to leave that, leave it all behind. And he took with him what he could, and he took the people with him that he could, and and his wife and his uh, brother's son came with him. But he's going someplace he doesn't know with less than what he had before. And folks, the journey to the promised land may seem steep, may seem long, may seem arduous, but at the other end, you'll be better off. So this covenant is birthed from the Lord's inspiration into Abram because he's the one that makes it happen. His voice is the instigator of his creative process. The other thing that we learn is that the initiative is always from a divine perspective. What you're going to see with what I share with you tonight 
is that God took all the initiative. He did all the work. He approaches Abram. He speaks to him in a dream, uh, in a vision, and tells him what to do. And then, on top of all of that, he offers the impossible promise that to an old man who had no blood heirs, that he would have a son through whom his descendants would eventually be as numerous as the stars of heaven. And he offered him a personal blessing, and then he offered a larger blessing to the world. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. J.G. Murphy goes on in his commentary, says, He is to be not only the, merely the subject of a blessing, but a medium of blessing to others. Literally, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the Lord here confers on Abram the delightful prerogative of dispensing good to others. And it's a higher blessing. It comes from the higher element of a divine promise. But sometimes that divine promise is an inheritance for a later time that fits into his divine plan. I know that that doesn't fit into the charismatic mindset of set of I want what I want and I want it now. In Acts 7, 5, Luke writes, but even when Abraham had no children, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. I see so much of what the disciples wrote in this lesson in Hebrews 10.23. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who was able to carry out his purpose and to do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Messiah Yeshua, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Abraham's possession of the promise is for a future time, but his obedience activates that promise. His faith that the Lord was able to do what he said, to do what he said he would do, triggers the activation. Do you believe that he's able to do what he said he would do for you? Let's jump to Genesis 15, starting with verse 1. This is God's first covenant with with Abram. There'll be another one later. A little bit different. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, You have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born into my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed, and that made him righteous to the Lord. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land, this land to inherit it. And Abraham said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? 
Verse 9, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite of each other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. Let me tell you some folks. You better get real and get right, because the minute God's going to bless you, the enemy's going to send a, a, something to steal it, and you're going to have to fight it off. You're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to say no. Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he, the Lord God, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." And it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And Abram does what the Lord tells him to do and takes him to a place of natural uncertainty but spiritual promise. Now we could just get all super religious there and say, wow, it was so easy. No, it wasn't. Abram's in a strange land, surrounded by enemies. But the Lord is standing with him. He said, I am your shield. I am your great reward. But you know what? To be safe, you need to be standing with him. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Almighty. How can you do that if you're not standing next to him? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. How can that happen if you're way over there? His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You have to be standing with him. You have to be standing with the Lord for this blessing to be available to you. You can't be standing with the world. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But he's standing in a place of depraved evil in the total absence of good. And yet, he's their shield. Psalm 3, verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. This is a foreshadowing of the real promised land. Abram is living out the foreshadowing of what will be 400 years later. Let's not forget, he's still childless. And without the land he's been promised, if you're going to believe, you have to believe it all. There can be no halfways. There can be no predicates. Oh, I believe, but. No. Do you believe? The natural cannot understand the supernatural. So what does the Lord do? He tells Abram to look up. Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he says, so shall your descendants be. 
and he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. So, and then he says, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Pretty amazing. Instead of asking about what, he wants to know how. J.G. Murphy also points out in his commentary on Genesis that phrase, the Lord God, is the first time the name Adonai is used in the Bible. It denotes someone who has authority, and therefore, when applied to God, he is the supreme Lord, the supreme God. So Abraham is acknowledging Jehovah, Yahweh, as the supreme judge and governor of all things, and therefore entitled to do whatever he wants to do in all manners, whether present or in the future. But I still like the fact that Abram asked how, but the Lord says what. And what is, so shall your descendants be as the stars in heaven. The Lord who created everything from the unseen is speaking to Abram. You know, when the Lord makes you a promise, when he says something to you, don't ever take for granted who's speaking to you. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, powers. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1.16 If only Abram had a New Testament to carry with him. But I know where Paul gets a lot of what he Remember, Paul studied under Gamaliel. He was studying under the greatest teacher and was seen to be one of his greatest students. So he knew about Abraham. He knew about the promises. He knew about the promised land. When, when he wrote Second Corinthians four seventeen and 18, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If only we saw what we were going through by the totality of the word. Stop looking at it as an Old Testament or a New Testament. Look at it as a one word, the Bible. And by believing in what the Lord said to him, it made him righteous before God. And that word rendered believe at that moment when it says, and he believed the Lord literally means to steady oneself as leaning on something. So it gives us a vivid picture, a more instructive explanation of what faith is and what it does for us. As, as someone who leans with possibly a trembling hand on a staff to stay upright, it shows that we lay our weak and our malleable, changeful selves on God's strength. You're not walking this walk into the promised land without him. And we're being steadied. We're being fastened to a fixed point by our belief in him. We become steadfast as a rock on the rock. You know, there's all, all these things I'm saying right now, most of which aren't in my notes. They're catchy and they rhyme. No, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you to a place where you change the way you think. Stop looking at things through your natural eyes and start seeing them with your spiritual eyes. Just as it says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith is impossible to please him. Abram pleased him by his faith. Abram believed. 
and the re- the reliability of your belief is is in your mind, but when belief is a trust, it's an act of the will and the heart. Gee, I wonder what scripture that ties to. Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth, well, your mind, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead as Messiah, you will be saved. You activate the promise of salvation. Are you activating anything in your life beside doubt and fear and hesitancy? Or Only you know. I don't. I know one thing. Abram believed. And the promise was awakened inside of him. If we look at everything right now going on in the world with natural eyes, we'd be led not to believe. It would steal our faith. It would shake our faith. But I've decided I'm going to stand on the rock. I've decided I'm going to hold on to the promise. I don't have anything else. I have nowhere else to go. I have nothing else to do. I can't rescue myself. I'm going to believe. But even Abraham realized that. He realized he couldn't do this on his own. And and he wants to know, how, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Well, the answer is not one that we would understand, but Abram did. It's a binding blood covenant between the Lord God and Abram. It's a formal covenant to secure and establish the verbal one. You know, in our world today, they say a verbal agreement is not worth the paper it's printed on. But this is an agreement that's not only verbally spoken, but tangibly ratified by the Lord. Now, this interaction that I'm sharing with you between Abraham and, and the Lord God is takes place over two nights. The first night was to look at the stars and to get a, an idea of the grandeur of the promise. And on the second night, as the sun sets, it's time to ratify the deal. So with a very solemn ceremony, God makes a binding covenant with Abraham that guaranteed the fulfillment of God's promises to him. So before we look at what the ceremony is, I want to point out what it's not. Don't get confused. It's not a sacrifice. There's no altar. There's no offering of animals to any deity and no ritual ritual being done with the carcasses, the meat of the blood. It's not some form of pagan divination. The entrails aren't examined. Uh, the, the meal isn't offered to a deity. Nobody's you know, coming up with any any prophecies or future statements. And it's not an incantation, no words are spoken to accompany the ritual. And at the end of it, Abraham falls asleep. Wait, that's church. No, I'm kidding. Abraham was put to sleep. But Abraham was obedient. He gets the three animals for the ceremony. He cuts them in half. Knowing full well what he was doing. It was a common ritual at that time that animals were divided in two. The parties making the covenant passed between the pieces. Basically, they were making an oath saying, May I become like these animals if I break my word. So the... the, the, the Cutting of the animal symbolized a blood covenant oath that basically said, I'm staking my life on my word. The other thing about this particular ceremony, it's a covenant ceremony, but more specifically, a royal land grant ceremony with the animals substituting as the participants. And then what happens? God puts Abram into his sleep. Basically, the way I see it, he fell out in the spirit. Couldn't move, could see. And then God humbled himself to accept the role of the inferior party in the covenant. He knew Abraham, Abram at that time, 
couldn't do what the promise required. In the surety covenant, Abraham being the inferior party, would have walked between the split animals and saying, may it be done to me as I've done to these animals if I do not fulfill the terms of this covenant. Folks, our Heavenly Father has made a covenant with us that we can't fulfill. So the Lord voluntarily takes both parts of the agreement on himself. And if you don't get the fact that this immediately foreshadows the precious gift of his own son, who would do the same thing, to die on a cross for all of humanity, to pay for our covenant in his own blood. Philippians 2 Verses 5 through 7, it's right there, it explains this. Having the same attitude in yourself, which was in Messiah Yeshua, look to him as your example in selfless humidity. Humility, humidity. Maybe it was human, I don't know. Selfless humility, who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, The entire nature of deity did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped for or asserted as if he didn't already possess it or was afraid of losing it. But he emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. He became completely human but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. Though the Lord God passed between those pieces. His oath was unilateral, unconditional, and with no requirements demanded of Abram in this legally binding covenant. All Abram had to do was believe. That's the cross. That's salvation. The same blood covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is the Old Testament model for the new covenant in Messiah Yeshua. But this new covenant, it it brings a closer friendship and higher blessing. And it's sealed by the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Lamb. And he represents both God and man in the equation. I'm so astounded from Genesis to Revelation how it all ties together. Line upon line, precept upon precept, everything done has been done before and it's been explained. Even the deep sleep that came on Abram as the sun was setting and in that heavy darkness, a frightening darkness, by the way, he saw supernatural light, smoking oven and a burning torch symbolizing the glory of the Lord to Abram. The Word became flesh, and the Word, the Messiah, became flesh and lived among us. And we actually saw His glory. Glory is belonging to the one and only begotten Son of the Father, the Son who is truly unique, the only one of His kind, who is full of grace and truth and absolutely free of deception. As John 1, verse 14. The thing about this covenant, you want to get into the promised land, you better make this covenant. You better do your part. Abram believed. He showed up. He went and got the elements of the sacrifice. Everybody wants the promised land. They don't want the effort. They don't want the relationship. They don't want the conditions of their behavior. And what's funny is the Lord told Abram it would be 400 years before his descendants got the land, which means he knew that they were going to get lost. He knew that they were going to wander around. He knew that they were going to sin. He already knew that the firstborn of that group, except for Joshua and Caleb, were not making it into the promised land. 
and he did it anyway. John 3, starting verse 17. For God did not send the Son in the world to judge and condemn the world, that is, to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged. For this one, there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal Savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, the cause for indictment, the test by which people are judged, the basis for the sentence. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light for their deeds or evil. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. But whoever whoever practices truth and does what is right morally, ethically, and spiritually comes to the light, so that his works may be plainly shown to be what they are, accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done with God's help, independence on him. You know, when God's glory is present, both the blessings and judgment are available to him. He walked through there, and all Abram saw was the smoke and the fire, the symbol of his glory. Clouds and darkness often precede God's acts of judgment. Psalm 97, verses 2 through 6. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteous and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies around about. His lightnings light the world, the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord, the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. We could say righteousness and justice is absolute righteousness. It's the foundation of the coming judgment that God will do with his integrity. We'll know know it's fair because he's doing it, and we'll know his judgments are correct. And I know that's difficult for some to accept that a righteous, holy, and loving God would do that, but he only does what people have decided they want done to them. He doesn't do this to anybody that doesn't deserve it. Zephaniah 1, verses 14 through 16. For the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Oh, I know judgment's not a fun thing to listen about. Not really a fun thing to talk about. But the fact is, this world deserves it. And since we know judgment begins at the house of the Lord, we know if he does it, we deserve it. Abram understood that. He understood what covenants were. He understood even as an unsaved person that if he didn't do what was required of him, there was a price. Thankfully, Abram was not allowed to walk that pathway. The Lord protected him. He loved him already. This is the blood covenant that only the Lord can fulfill. It's the same with us in Yeshua. It's the same with us in the cross. We never would have been good enough. Same thing with the law. You're never going to be good enough. If you fail in one part of the law, you fail in all of it. 
It can't be done. If it could, then Yeshua died for nothing. Nothing depended upon Abraham just as nothing depends upon us except our obedience and our love. Everything is dependent upon God who proved himself to be faithful. Hebrews 6 tells us when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore an oath by himself since he had no one greater by whom to swear saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he realized the promise and the miraculous birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come from God. Indeed, men swear an oath by one greater than themselves, and with them, in all disputes, the oath serves as a confirmation of what has been said, and is an end of the dispute in the same way God and his desire to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his purpose, intervened and guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, which was impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. What are you hoping for? What promises has he made to you? Has he confirmed them with two or three witnesses who didn't know what was said to you? Have you have you seen confirmation in dreams and vision? Have you heard his voice? Then you need to hold tightly to the hope that is set before you. It's like that woman with the issue of blood. I always use her as an example because I'm so impressed by her. She was out of money. Doctors couldn't help her. She had no other hope, and she sees Yeshua and the crowds, and she sees his talit, his prayer psalm, the zitzit, the fringes, and she realizes if I can just grab a hold of the promises of God, I'll be healed. And she risks it all. And she goes and grabs it. Why? Because she had now faith. Now faith is. She needed it now. She knew what the promises were. She understood what was standing before him. And she grabbed a hold of it. What have you grabbed a hold of? What are you holding on to? Remember I said last week, you can't make it into the promised land by taking things with you. But this journey, you get to take his promises with you. All the doubts, all the fears, all the condemnations, all the lack of self-worth, all the things spoken upon you by, by people who are supposed to love you and care for you, all those things, you've got to leave them behind. All the man-made dreams, all the things that were never God. They were good things, but they weren't God things. You have to leave them behind. You can't press on to the higher calling. You can't press on to the promise when you're dragging stuff. See, Abram could only take with him from his father's house and father's land what he could carry. He left a lot behind. So Abram, and then once he became Abraham, and his descendants could trust, they could count on, and they could believe in everything God had promised them. And I'm here to tell you, so can we. And I know that's not easy. I know it's easier to waver. I know it's easy to see things with natural eyes. It's a fight. It's a fight to hold on. It's a fight to keep believing, to get up every morning believing today's the day of miracles, and then when it doesn't happen, believe it's the next day, and to go through cycles of those days. But the minute you doubt, the minute you give up, the minute you let go, the promise starts to fade. This deal is sealed. He sealed it in his blood for Abraham. He sealed it in in the blood of his son for us. We are sealed into his promises.
and very much like like the the Lord God through those two those path of those animals. This is a journey in smoke and fire. This is the journey in the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit and the consuming zeal of the Lord in us that we need to make this journey. For Abram, he did it alone. For us, he makes the journey with us because he's in us. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Abram watched him do it. God did it alone. This journey... He's making it with us. So the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram, the Abrahamic covenant, is as sure as our ongoing life with the Lord. So when Abraham awakens on the third day, the promise is sealed. It's sealed in blood. A holy God made, literally cut a unilateral covenant with Abraham. Promises that were totally dependent upon him. Didn't depend upon Abraham or his descendants. Not even 400 years of screwing up. Not even getting lost and wandering. Not even the bondage. Not even the rebellion. Could interfere with God's plan to fulfill the covenant. Now those who made it into the promised land, messed up on their own. The ones that didn't make it messed up on their own. The ones that did make it just simply were obedient and believed. And unfortunately, that was just Joshua and Caleb. That from the time of the beginning of the journey to the final journey into the promised land. But 400 years it was a perfection, a time of perfection, a time of cleansing, a, a, a time for man to get out of God's way. For the promises of God are yea and amen. If he said it, he will do it. And he will be glorified. You won't share in his glory. You can share in the blessings, but you can't share in the glory. And the problem I see in the church today, too many people want to share in the glory. He said if he be lifted up, he would draw all men unto him. But we've got too many people up on stage, men and women standing in the sight line. They need to get out of the way before God knocks them down. If he be lifted up, Yeshua, the only begotten Son of God. We serve him. This is his ministry. This is his church. This is his covenant. This is his promise. He's just allowing us to participate in it. And what I said this morning on Facebook, and I'll repeat it again right now, God's done sharing his glory with anyone. Too many people like to see their name in lights and their hearts are filled with darkness. They fleece the flock and make themselves rich and live the high life while the sheep suffer. They run when the wolves show up. The hirelings have been in place for way too long. If we're going to enter the promised land, then we're going to have to deal with the giant. We're going to have to deal with the Nephilim. We're going to have to deal with the evil, perverse, diabolical people in Canaan. We're going to have to deal with all those tribes. We're going to have to keep a covenant promise. We're going to have to follow through on what we say we're going to do. That's what America's seeing right now. We're seeing a chastising. We're seeing a correction. Oh, the global globalist, whoever they may be, and the, and the their antichrist spirit, they may think they're doing the great reset, the great correction. They're totally clueless. They're blinded by their own avarice, greed, and sin, and the darkness that's in them. They don't understand that a greater correction is coming by the one who spoke all things into existence by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, a final correction will happen. It's right there. He gave a warning, laid it out by the prophets. 
but right now we're in a correction. The church is being corrected, society is being corrected, politics are being corrected, and we're watching it. And for some, this may be frightening. It may take us to a very dark, ugly, even bloody place. I don't know. I'm praying it doesn't. But it's happened before. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it throughout history. But my trust is in the Lord. He is my shield and my buckler. He is the glory and the lifter of my head. He's my high tower whom I can run to. So, Father, I come to you now as your son. I come to you as your servant. I come to you as the one speaking your word. And I ask that you spread your wings over us, those of us anyway, that are willing to come close. Cleanse us. Make us righteous. Make us holy. Set us free of any baggage that we're bringing with us from Egypt. If we may, we may not even know we've got it, show us, Lord. Show us anything in the hidden secret places that we're carrying with us from our past. Let us make this journey. Let us cross over into the land of promise. Let us take on some giants in the land. Let's get what is ours. I'm asking for right now, Lord, for you to rain down fire into our hearts and into our lives and rain down fire on your enemies. I'm asking you to show yourself strong and mighty. I'm, I'm asking you to put on a show. It's about time the Lord, the Lord put on a show and show the people what he's capable of. Let the fear of a living God touch their hearts. Raise up, Lord. Raise up your remnant. Use those that have been waiting, preparing, studying, praying, listening. Change us, Lord, please. I know for me, and I'm just speaking for me right now at this moment, I'm being honest and transparent. I'm so tired of standing on the sidelines waiting. I'm so tired of watching the enemy do what it does. I'm I'm tired of watching babies slaughtered in the womb. I'm tired of watching evil prosper. I'm tired of watching the sin and degradation and disrespect and everything shown to you by a fallen world. Zeal for my father's house consumes me. There's a fire in my bones I no longer wish to contain. I'm just asking that you help us and that you touch us and that you change us. And I ask all these things, all these things in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, just say, Amen. Now, I hope I hope that you're taking the time maybe to listen to again, maybe to download, maybe to mark the scriptures, maybe to make notes into how it applies to you. I know some of you are because you share with me the revelations that the Lord gives you. But we're we're making a journey. And I know people say that every New Year's, but I am not one of those people. If I say something, I believe it, and the Lord's confirmed it to me. I won't tickle your ears, and I won't glorify myself or try to make myself look good. I believe we're entering into the promise. I believe we're entering into this land, but we got to cleanse it. We have to do what we've been called to do. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall. Talk Radio.